Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sis- sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Also, please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content. And please be sure to follow Joe and I on social media, primarily on Facebook and YouTube. Like, subscribe, share hit the little bell, do all that fun stuff. And today we are very pleased and honored to be bringing back a friend of the show, Dr. Edmund Maza. And for those of you who do not know who Dr. Edmund Maza is, you're going to be happy that you're tuning in because he's one of those guys that we call really, really smart. And he knows a lot about a lot, particularly about church history. And it's very important because we as Catholics, we need to know, we need to all know and educate ourselves on the history of our beloved church. And he's Italian and he's from Queens. (laughs) Right. We love him. Which which doesn't hurt (laughs) whatsoever. Okay. So uh, for everyone uh, who does not know Dr. Mazza, he's a former full professor of history at Azusa Pacific University in Los Angeles, where he taught ancient, medieval, and Renaissance and Reformation history. Mazza is the author of The Scholastics and the Jews by Angelico Press and host of The Bar of History at virginmostpowerful.org. He has produced teaching videos shot on location in Athens, Ephesus, Istanbul, Palermo, Naples, Venice, and Rome. He was an an invited scholar at Liberty Fund's 2015 San Diego seminar, Convivencia and Reconquista, Freedom and Responsibility in Medieval Spain. That same year, he organized at New York University the conference Conversing Conversion, celebrating the 750th anniversary of the birth of Dante, another Italian. (laughs) Dr. Mazza was also the organizer of Christ Among the Medieval Mendicants, a 2013 conference commemorating the 750, excuse me, 750th anniversary of the Barcelona debate and the institution of the Feast of Corpus Christi, co-sponsored by the Graduate Center of the City University of New York and the Morgan Library and Museum. Dr. Edmund Mazza, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. So, uh, so basically, the, tell our audience, start out, what, what exactly are, are you doing with your courses? What sort of ground are you covering? What are you hoping to accomplish? Um, and we'll say it a few times during the course of the broadcast, um, sure. where people could go to, fu- to, to find all of, your, all of your course material. Yeah, well, you know, after teaching college for 14 years at secular and, and then evangelical uh, schools, I had to sort of reinvent myself. Uh, I uh, lost my job due to certain circumstances. I think part of it was my outspoken uh, Catholicity. Uh, and so I, 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 you know, I did what I had to do. I started a GoFundMe page, which actually is still up. And I started my own online courses where uh, I'm basically in teaching church history uh, and uh, uh, world history. And then this summer, uh, I'm teaching a special course, a 12-week course about relics and cures and miraculous events because our our catholic history is so rich with the unexplainable uh from a from a strictly scientific perspective uh and like the miracles that our lord worked it testifies to the truth of our religion uh and i think in this dark age in which you and i are living right now uh, it's time for people to experience the triumph of good over evil so uh that's going to be the the focus of my course this summer because it's also the 40th uh i'll get the hat the 40th anniversary of <laughs> raiders of the lost ark i love uh, it <laughs> and uh of course you know indy uh in the movies right he, he deals with relics the the ark of the covenant or the the, the chalice right the holy grail of mm-hmm. christ used at the last supper so we're going to explore uh I, I, I'll, hopefully during the, our conversation i can go into more detail but we're going to explore 
the miraculous in the history of Catholicism, and I think even secular people are going to be interested in this uh, because, you know, given the appeal of the movie. Let's talk relics. Uh, what relics are you going to cover and what periods? So, um, you know, I had to narrow it down since we only have 12 uh, weeks. Uh, I, I, I want to talk about the Holy Shroud of Turin uh, because there's a, a biggie. Uh, there's so much uh, evidence on that that makes it really, without a doubt, the, the burial shroud of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it has miraculous properties to it. Uh, I also want to talk about the, uh, the Holy Chalice of Valencia, which has a, a, a good claim to be the Holy Grail, uh, the cup that our, our Lord used at the Last Supper. Uh, as well as that, there is the, um, the face cloth of Oviedo. It's called the Sudarium of Oviedo, and it matches the Shroud of Turin. And it backs up the authenticity of the Shroud of Turin. Some other things I'd like to talk about are the true cross of Christ. Um, in the uh, in city of Rome itself, there's a special church called the Basilica of Santa Croce in Jerusalemme. And at that inside that church, they've got a chapel. And in that chapel, they've got relics of the true cross, including part of the titulus. Remember Pontius Pilate had the name... Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, placed in three languages. Well, they've actually got a part of that, and we're going to go into the evidence for why that is very likely authentic from did, the uh, crucifixion. Did St. Helen find that? Yes. In fact, that church is the former palace of St. Helen, who was the mother of the first Christian emperor, Constantine. Uh, so there's a lot of evidence to back that up. Uh, so we're going to go through all these different uh, relics, especially those that pertain to our Lord's Passion. And you know, just by way of introduction to this, to, 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 to Catholics who might feel strange about this or non-Catholics that think that this is superstitious, it's right in the pages of Scripture. Uh, we read in the Acts of the Apostles that uh, St. Paul uh, would, would take cloths that he had either used to wipe his brow or whatever – and, and the, they would take those cloths to the sick people, and the sick people would be cured. That, that's right from the Acts of the Apostles. That's right from the pages of Scripture. The, so that's the, the use of relics. Also, we have uh, the example of St. Peter. It, again, from the Acts of the Apostles, it says that the, the people in Jerusalem, they used to leave their sick friends and relatives in the street. Now, that sounds kind of cruel. We did that but, in my fraternity house. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they did it for a reason, right? Because uh, they, they placed them strategically along the route that St. Paul, excuse me, St. Peter would walk through the streets of Jerusalem so that his shadow might fall on them. And of course, the implication is they would be cured merely by being touched by St. Peter's shadow. So this is biblical. This is Catholicism from day one. Uh, and it's all about the power of Jesus's resurrection to triumph, the triumph of good over evil, and 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 how the miraculous can break through into our humdrum, you know, everyday lives full of cares and anxieties. You know, our Lord is there to help us out. Isn't it true, like you know, it's tradition with regard to relics of saints, like they would cut off like a finger of a saint, or like you know, I've heard that, like as they were lying there, people would take bones <laughs> and take. Like, talk a little bit about that, because it is sure. a part of our faith. Like, I've seen, you know, like, the the type, don't they rate them? Like, it's a third-class relic, a second-class relic, a first-class yes. relic. Like, if it's a vial of blood, if it touched the saint itself. Like, I have a third-class uh, relic mm -hmm. of Mother Teresa. It's a rosary wow. that touched her tomb. That's a third-class relic. It's not, you yeah. know, like, could you talk about that? Because I think it's definitely informative. Well, you know, I... You know, in all humility, I consider myself a second-class relic. Nice, nice. <laughs> That's because... why we love having you on the show, because we never know what's going to come out of your mouth. You never know. Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Resinello, and we're talking talking with Dr. Edmund Mazza about the courses he's offering, and he's going to give information on where you can find those courses. And right now, we're talking about relics. Go ahead, second-class relic. <laughs> watch those Italian guys from Howard Beach in Ozone Park. You got to watch out. I love uh, it. No. <laughs> So over my shoulder there, you can probably see, for those of you that are watching the video, I've got a photograph of me with John Paul II, me and my wife. You know, little known secret, you can meet the Pope if you take your tux and your wedding gown with you uh, and you, you, you talk to the right people in Rome. 
Uh, you can get special tickets to, to meet him up close and personal for about five seconds before they shoo you away. But it gets photographed. So now he, he took the opportunity to slap me around a little bit, uh, which my wife was applauded him for that. But uh, so I, I was touched by a saint. So I think that makes my face second-class second right. I love it. Uh, <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, again, especially for those people who feel squeamish about this, who think that this is like voodoo or this is something out there from left field. No, this is biblical. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, there was a, a, a certain prophet. I forget if it was the prophet. I think it was the prophet Elisha. Uh, and they, they had his uh, bones and, and somebody landed on it. And then and they, they came back to life. Uh, and then in the New Testament, as I said, we've got the example of St. Paul and St. Peter. But also we have the example of the woman who touched our Lord's, uh, the hem of his garment, right? She had- that Was that the, uh, the, hemorrh the hemorrhaging woman? Exactly. She'd been to doctors. They couldn't do anything for her. She'd spent money and she was still suffering and bleeding all the time. And she, she said, if I could only touch the hem of his cloth, I'll be cured. And, and in fact, Jesus said, power came out of me. Who touched me? Um, and this is this is what we experience through holy relics. But now there are different classes of relics, and the first class of relics is an actual uh, physical uh, thing, you know, from the body of a saint. Uh, and this was part of the the mass, actually. Believe it or not, when we read the Book of Revelation, again, if you read it in a Catholic way, there's information in there about early Christian worship that's mirrored by heavenly worship. John the Apostle, right, has the, this vision, which is what the book of Revelation is all about, the apocalypse, right? And in there, I think it's in, could be chapter six, I got to double check, but it says that he saw the altar of the Lord, and beneath the altar were the, the, the martyrs, those who had been slain for Christ, and that the angels came and they took their prayers. Um, and so uh, it's hard to know if, you know, with the chicken or the egg here, but uh, in the early church, they used to put the, the, the relics of the martyrs into the altar where the holy sacrifice of the Eucharist was offered, okay? And either we see that mirrored in John's vision or based on John's vision, that's when they started doing that. But either way, it shows you the connection, the physical incarnate, inc you know, we're an incarnational religion. Catholicism is the, the religion of the incarnation, and Christ's incarnation continues in his mystical body, which we are, and we make up in our bodies what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Now, of course, there's nothing lacking, strictly speaking, in the sufferings of Christ, except for the fact that he took a human nature on himself, and you and I are an extension of that human nature. If we've been baptized, Paul says we've been baptized into Christ. And so in a certain sense, if we're in a state of grace, we are Christ. We are his mystical body, and he is the head. So from the, from the get-go in the church's history, her saints, right, the martyrs, those who died for Christ, who shed their blood for him, their bodies were kept inside of the altars of, of the very first primitive churches, and, and that's been the case up until modern times. You know, you go to any major church in the world, even minor churches, they've got relics of, of saints inside the, uh, the altar. So uh, that's an example of a first-class relic. A second-class relic would be something that touched a saint. Um, so you've got uh, you know, cloth or clothes or items that, that a saint would have touched or would have used. Uh, and then you've even got third-class relics because you can take your own piece of paper or your own hand and touch it to something that was a relic. And in a certain sense, that becomes a relic as well. Holiness is transmissible, if you will. Let's talk, since we're all New Yorkers, um, San Gennaro, the San Gennaro Feast. It's a famous yes. feast down in, you know, Little Italy. Uh, and most Italians in this part of the world, when I mean this part of the world, Boston, New York, New Jersey, are Southern Italians. Um, you know, that's because we make the best food. It's just <laughs> a fact. But um, at the end of the day, it, San Gennaro is the patron saint of Naples. And there is... Uh, he, a vial of his blood that uh, is it, it, uh, it. What is it? It turns into liquid. It's you it's know. Several, it, yeah. Talk about that because I believe this year it just happened. I think it just happened actually. Oh yeah, yeah. So several times a year, uh, I believe May, September on the the feast of the saint, and then maybe in December as well, uh, the 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 bishop will come out and he'll hold up the relic uh, of San Gennaro, who was a former bishop. 
and uh, and it's it's you know it's you know thousands of hundreds of years old blood which should be solid, but then he he turns it upside down or he turns it this way and that and suddenly it becomes liquid it liquefies normally, <laughs> and if it doesn't liquefy uh, that's a bad omen that's a bad sign all right it means that either Mount Vesuvius is going to go boom, and there's going to be a lot of uh, Maza relatives uh, going to a, nice. to, the, to a better world. <laughs> That's my actually my family comes literally from a little village in the shadow of Mount Vesuvius. So if that thing goes, we're we're all in, the Mazas are in a lot of trouble. But uh, anyway, long story short, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's I mean it's miraculous. I mean, how do you explain this? Something that's a solid. Uh, after you say some prayers over it in the presence of the faithful inside of the basilica, it suddenly becomes liquid, and, it, and people can see it. And then everybody cheers, and everybody's happy. Uh, but you know, we're living in desperate times right now, and then a lot of the people that are running the church today are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so heaven wants to give us some wake-up calls, and one of those wake-up calls is when the blood of San Gennaro does not liquefy. But yeah, especially for Italians, if you've ever been to the San Gennaro Festival, you know, down in Little Italy. Uh, or in the Bronx, on Belmont Avenue. This this is the real deal here. It's not about the Zeppelins. It's not about the, uh, you know, whatever. It's about the honoring the saint uh, who's an intercessor uh, with Christ. Let, let me ask a question, because uh, I, I I feel like, you know, causing a little trouble here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, having, as always, a great conversation with our good friend, Dr. Edmund Mazza. And we're talking about his the courses that he's offering. Um, and right now we're talking about one of the courses, which is on relics. Let's get into a little bit of trouble. Um, you just mentioned scripture. Now, I understand the atheist poo-pooing this. I understand the skeptic. All right, the non-believer. Why? Why would Protestants, knowing how this is scriptural, and you just pointed out, you know, evidence from scripture that relics are real and they're legit. They're legit. Okay. Um, why are Protestants resistant to this idea that relics are just, let's say, oh, that's those Catholics being superstitious again? Talk about that a little bit, Doctor Mazza. Well, you know, it's funny you should ask me that because it was exactly five hundred years ago. Uh, this spring that Martin Luther um, sort of defended himself at something called the Diet of Worms. That sounds like a bad diet. No, mm. it's a, it was a council that he met wasn't Italian, in, but he was <laughs> German. German. <laughs> I, I, I do a spectacular impersonation of Martin Luther, by the way, with a German accent. So at some point I may break into that. Uh, but he, uh, you know, he was a Catholic priest, he was a Catholic monk, and he was a Catholic college professor. So you got to watch out for those Catholic college professors. Uh, they, they can ruin your soul if you're not careful. You got to be careful. Pres with present company excluded, of course, Thank on you. that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so anyway, um, Luther uh, had this idea that we are damaged goods because of the fall and of course, Catholics believe that because of the fall of Adam and Eve, we are damaged goods. But he thought we're so damaged that nature does not participate at all in uh, – it's all grace. It's all supernatural. So you and I have nothing to do with our salvation. It's totally on God. And therefore, he came up with this idea that you can sin and sin boldly but believe more boldly still. Because as long as you have faith in God, you can basically do anything, and in the end, you'll get away with it because God's going to cover you with the blood of his son. Anyway, what this, boils, what this boils down to then is that you and I, according to Luther, who's the first Protestant who starts the Reformation, and then, of course, the people that live – the Protestants that live nowadays inherited all this ideology without realizing the source of it, you see. But the, the essence of Protestant theology is it denies – our co-redemptive role. Now, what do I mean by co-redemptive? All I mean is what Paul says in, in um, uh, when he says that I make up in my body what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ on behalf of the church, which is his body. Okay, and so um, it's not enough. You know, God, God did so much for us. He became a man. He died on the cross. He gave us his flesh to eat in the Eucharist. But then on top of that. He wants you and I, as members of the mystical body, to help participate in the redemption of the world. That's why we can offer up our sufferings and fastings and prayers 
and God will use that to convert sinners. This is totally foreign to Protestantism, where Jesus does everything, and, and I, I kind of take a back seat to everything. Uh, that's not how we look at it as Catholics. So, of course, they're not going to be into uh, the notion of relics, which is merely an extension of what we believe about co-redemption, the fact that even though Jesus is God, he wanted to involve you and me in the process. As St. Augustine says, um, you know, God who made you without you is not going to redeem you without you. Mm -hmm. So in Catholicism, we believe we have a role to play. It's kind of like our Lord said at the Last Supper in John, I believe it's chapter 14 and 15, when he says that um, if you abide in me and I abide in you, greater works than I do, my disciples will do. And of course, that's, again, that's another shocking thing. Like, how could we possibly do anything greater than what Jesus did? And again, St. Augustine explains the, the, the theology of this. St. Augustine explains that it's a greater thing to save your soul, uh, uh, which, which Christ does in us, but not without us, than merely to preach the word which Jesus did without us. I mean, you and I were not around when he was doing that. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, St. Augustine says, you and I are actually doing, we're, we're fulfilling the prophecy that Jesus said. We're actually doing greater works than he did all by himself. He now does through us with our free will cooperation. Mm -hmm. And that's why Catholicism is so deep. It's so rich. And, and that's why, you know, you can't blame them. Uh, it's never occurred to most Protestants that this is the way things are. You know, along those same lines, there's a saying like those who believe don't need proof and those who don't believe there's not enough proof that can be given. Um, you could talk about relics, particularly you can go back to this, the blood of San Gennaro. I mean, that is miraculous. Let's be honest. I mean, no scientific like method can prove that to be anything but miraculous. Now, I must say, just to let you know, there are some skeptics out there who come up with all kind of harebrained theories as to how, you know, the blood of San Gennaro is not, is, is a fake or, or, or the Shroud of Turin is a, is a medieval forgery. And they've got all different, you know, uh, we're going to get into some of that in my course. And then I, I take them down and I explain why these guys are wrong. But yeah, we're, we're dealing with a lot of skepticism, even though how can you dispute what's right in front of your eyes? That's what I'm saying, because ultimately, I think what it what it comes down to is change. You know, like, I mean, Christ resurrected from the dead. I mean, it doesn't get any more, uh, you know, miraculous than that. But people still didn't believe him. You know why? Because in order to follow God, we must change our life. So even if something happens that's like miraculous, I mean, you could think of, again, because I'm a Southern Italian, I'll talk about Padre Pio. He had holes in his hands. I always say that. If a guy has holes in his hands and he lifts up the Eucharist, I'm going to listen to him. If he has something to say, I'm listening to you. Um, well, I'm at least going to listen to him before I listen to Richard Dawkins. Yeah, yeah. Let, 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 let's so, put it like so, that. But yeah, and you could look at like videos. I mean, it's documented. People, you know, after the show could Google like the blood of San Gennaro. They could Google the wounds of Padre Pio. I mean, it's, I just recently saw a, a picture of uh, uh, St. Jacinta when she was, uh, her body, when she, when she was, what's it called, brought up from the ground. Mm. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, how could you dispute that and then not believe? Because it has everything to do with changing your life, and I'm not yeah. going to change, so therefore I poo-poo I it. Seems that way. Uh, Dr. Edmund Mazza, let me ask you a question. Why does it seem to you that the, some of the, Let's keep with, keep with the Protestants for a second. Protestant objections are borderline Gnostic. Material is bad. The material world is bad. In other words, that's part of their rejection, let's say, of, let's say in this case, relics. I mean, it just strikes me. I mean, I would ask them, then why did God, be, then why did God become a man? Why did God enter into the material world, okay, the natural world? If material is bad, God would never do that. Okay, does it strike you that it's kind of like borderline? So not all Protestantism, but some sects that reject things like relics, uh, kind of have that borderline Gnostic quality to their arguments. Do you agree with that? I, I do, actually. The, the very first heretic in the church's history uh, it comes up in the Acts of the Apostles. His name is Simon the Magician, or Simon Magus, 
and in scripture it says that he uh he saw people getting baptized and miracles happening and stuff and so he he walked up to the apostles and basically said you know this is great stuff i'd like to buy the holy spirit can you uh can you do that for me <laughs> and and saint peter you know in, in in the maza translation of the scriptures said you gotta be kidding me jack uh, I love it. It's, that's not that's not how it works okay uh and you better get your act together if you want to be saved uh and then now that's all that scripture you know tells us about simon the magician but the early church fathers like saint irenaeus they tell us that this guy he didn't learn his lesson after talking to saint peter and he was actually the founder of what you said gnosticism gnostics believed in a cosmic christ who uh, came into the world to free us from materiality they said, you know, we're living in a material world and it's evil. Uh, and so the only pure thing is the spirit. And, and so they came up with all these kooky so-called gospels, the gospel of Mary Magdalene, the gospel of uh, Judas, the gospel of whatever, right? Um, and, and there is something similar between Simon the Magician and these Gnostics and Martin Luther. Um, they both have this negative outlook on the flesh, on matter. And also, they because of that, they reject the Old Testament in large parts. Uh, a lot of people don't know this about Luther. Um, he was going on and on all the time about Moses and the law. And he, I've got some choice quotes for you. I think I'm having a T-shirt made. Uh, Luther said, Moses must be hanged. Uh, <laughs> he said, uh, Catholic theologians are jackasses because they don't think that Christ – uh, not only got rid of the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, but that they're jackasses because they think he did not do away with the Ten Commandments. This is an exact quote mm -hmm. from Luther. So Luther uh, had this thing against uh, the Old Testament, and so did the, the Gnostics. In their Gospels, they didn't recognize the inspiration of the uh, Old Testament because they thought that the God of Genesis was an evil God who created an evil material world that we live in. So they were really out there, you know, in left field carrying a hockey stick, these guys. Well, let's talk about that thing. What, what is that? I mean, like, this is where I sometimes like when people like, I have a problem with that thing. Well, guess what? Then you have a problem with the church. You see, this is like what I don't get sometimes. Like, right. it's like, what is that thing? You know what I'm saying? Like, and there's so many of those th things out there. I mean, um, it, it boggles my mind. I, I just want to like revert back to relics for a moment. Basically, though, relics are something like saints, just so people are clear. They point us to Christ. Like I, I go to a, a church, the Church of St. Joseph for Daily Mass, and they have a relic of St. Anthony, and they do a novena after the mass for St. Anthony and the priest holds, I don't know if it, whatever it's a third class or a second class, right. relic, but it's a relic. Um, talk about how a relic looks us in the direction of Christ as do saints. Dr. Edmund Maza, we have about a minute, then we're going to a break. So I'll give you a little heads up, but uh, go ahead. Sure thing. Again, it, it's all about the fact that God chose to redeem, you know, he could have redeemed us any way he wanted to. All right. But he chose to become, uh, an unborn child, right, in the womb of Mary. He chose to attach uh, a physical body to the word incarnate, you know, the, 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 the word that had always existed, the eternal word. And so the baptized, when we're baptized, we're baptized into his death and resurrection. And um, that's where this is all coming from. Dr. Edmund Mazza, before we take a break, let our audience know, and we'll remind them again later on where they can find your course material. Thank you, gentlemen. It's very simple. Just go to edmundmazza.com, uh, and you can sign up and register for my uh, for my online courses. I'd be, we'd be happy to have you. And if you can't attend live, uh, I email you the video or the link to to watch the video. So uh, don't you know if you're if you're living in Australia and you're listening to Joe and Joe. Or, or, or uh, if you're li listening in Montauk, whatever, uh, you, 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 if you can't make it at 6 o'clock uh, p.m. Pacific time, you can watch the video. All right, awesome. So we're going to take a little break. You're at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, and we're being joined by a good friend of the show, Dr. Edmund Mazza, and we're talking about the course material that he offers on all, on all of church history. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Mazza. Yeah. 
All right, today we're talking about specifically relics and the miraculous. So stick around, we'll be back on the other side of the break. Hey, you know about our Veritas shows, right? All five? It starts every Sunday at 5 p.m. with The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talk to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank. This is your chance to hear Bishop Frank Caggiano talk about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock. That's when you can hear It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. It's a late night show on Catholic Radio, and Liv mixes faith with humor, games, and dynamic interviews. There's a double dose of shows on Friday. First, at noon, it's Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Then, at 12.30 on Fridays, you can hear the focus on Veritas, where Peter Sonsky puts the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello being joined by Dr. Edmund Mazza, and we're talking about his courses on church history. Um, and specifically today, uh, we talked in the first segment about relics, and now I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello because we're going to talk about miraculous events. Yeah, let's talk about the miraculous, because there's a ton of things that have occurred since Christ has, you know, left this earth uh, 2,000 years ago that have been miraculous. We could talk about Fatima. We could talk about Lourdes. We could talk about uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe. We could talk about miracles for saints. I mean, gosh, every saint, usually there's two miracles that accompany mm -hmm. them to be canonized. Um, again, if people would just read... You know, I, I really believe that, and I invite our listeners to do that. You, there's not, there's so much material you could spend your whole lifetime reading about the miraculous. Which are some of those events that you're going to cover in your course? Well, yeah, particularly Our Lady of Fatima. You know, uh, just last week we celebrated the 40th uh, anniversary, or not celebrated, but we marked the 40th anniversary of Pope John Paul II being shot in St. Peter's Square. Uh, by uh, a Muslim terrorist named uh, uh, Muhammad Ali Aja. Uh, I can remember I was, in the I was in the third grade or the fourth grade, and they said, Muhammad Ali shot the Pope. I'm like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in, in, in Turkish, which where he was from, it's Mehmed Ali Aja. And this guy probably, in all probability, was working for the KGB, uh, for the Soviet Union. Uh, and and the, the reason I bring that up is because when Our Lady of Fatima appeared on 1917 to the three shepherd children in Portugal, number one, she said, I'm going to come to ask the Pope to consecrate Russia to my immaculate heart in order to convert Russia. And then secondly, it happened on May 13th, uh, 1917. The day St. Uh, Pope John Paul II was shot was May 13th, 1981. A lot of people don't realize this. He's going around St. Peter's Square in his Popemobile. And uh, it, Father Malachi Martin talks about this in his book, um, The Keys of This Blood, which he wrote like 30 years ago. He died like 20 years ago. And Father Martin says that John, John Paul was you know, touching people and, and greeting people. And some little girl had, a, had an image of Our Lady of Fatima. And he bent down. To, to, to look at it, and that's when Ali Aja got off his shots. In other words, if he had been standing where he was supposed to be standing, he'd be dead right now. I mean, I mean he is dead now, but he would have been dead 40 years ago. He's more I, alive I, than we are, actually. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, and um, long story short, you know, he, he was so grateful to Our Lady of Fatima for saving his life that a year later, um, in, uh, May 13th, 1982, he traveled to Portugal and the doctors, you know, gave him the bullet and he put the bullet in the crown in the statue of Our Lady of Fatima at the shrine in Portugal. Uh, so that's that's kind of a miraculous thing, just, you know, in and of itself, what happened with John Paul. Um, but the, the biggest miraculous event that goes with with Our Lady of Fatima is, of course, what's called the miracle of the sun. And this is a miracle that was witnessed by over 70,000 people. Okay? Covered by secular press, too atheistic secular press i mean we're talking about the you know the 
the 1917 equivalent of of uh, CNN. Jake Tapper was there. Jake Tapper was there, and a few, a few of the others. And Wolf Blitzer. Morning Schmo. You know they were they were there, and uh, these guys are Freemasons. These guys were there to like expose the the credulity of these stupid people. Let me set this up for you. Um, three months earlier, the children said that Mary said God is going to work a sign to prove to everybody that this message is really happening, that I'm really appearing to you, and, and, and this message is authentic. God's going to give a sign. And so by, by October 13th, literally tens of thousands of people from all over Portugal and from nearby countries were sloshing through the mud because it was pouring rain. Uh, but meanwhile, World War I was going on at that very moment, and one of the worst battles of World War I was happening, the Battle of Passchendaele, where these British soldiers were, were in trenches filled with, with water, and you had to either come up for air and get shot by a machine gun or go down and, and drown. It was terrible. But so that same rain that's fallen on the soldiers at Passchendaele, at the Battle of Passchendaele, is, is drenching these pilgrims that are coming to Portugal because these three little kids say that Mary is talking to them. And they're gonna, there's going to be this great miracle. And by the way, if there was no great miracle, these these kids were going to get you know their necks stretched from the nearest uh, lamp post. You know, uh, some of these uh, Catholics can get a little uh, out of hand sometimes, right? So th their parents were actually afraid to bring them that day on October 13th. But Lucia said, uh, "If you want to go to confession first, I'm willing. I'm up for that." <laughs> but anyway. Long story short, uh, for those of you that don't know the miracle of the sun, what happened was around noon, solar time, uh, all of a sudden th the clouds went away, the rain stopped, the clouds went away, and people could look at the sun without hurting their eyes. Now that doesn't sound too miraculous at that at that point, but it gets better. Okay, after that, th the uh, the sun starts giving off all these different colors and starts zigzagging around the sky, uh, and it. it We've got witnesses to this. We've got testimony of this. As you point out, secular newspaper reporters, right, who, who don't believe in religion who, and who went there to debunk this thing couldn't help but state in, in, in writing what they saw with their own eyes. And then all of a sudden after this beautiful kind of colorful display, it, the sun literally it was heading towards the earth like it was going to hit the earth. People thought it was the, the final judgment. It's the end of the world. They're all on their knees. They're all begging God's forgiveness, as, as, as we should if we were in that situation, right? Uh, and then suddenly, it went. The, the sun apparently went back to the same place in the sky that it always is. But now when the people got up, they were totally dry. <laughs> the, the, there was no explanation for how their clothes were clean and they were dry. And uh, this is called the miracle of the sun. And that's, that's one of that, right. And that's it's one of the biggest things is like when you talk to scientists, okay, Richard Dawkins insists that those 70,000 people suffered a mass delusion. No there proof is, of that, of course. Let me tell you, there there is no such thing as a mass hallucination. Right, seventy thousand people cannot say they saw the saw the same thing. You've but, never been to a Grateful Dead concert, Doctor Mazza. <laughs> but, but, but even even if you wanted to concede that, which for not for a second we would, right. Mr. Do Professor Dawkins, you're a scientist. How did all of a sudden the ground go from being knee above knee deep in mud? Okay mud to being bone dry how did that happen now, see now that's science it's yeah. a scientific one and the only yeah. way that can happen because i heard one scientist say the amount of energy that it would have taken to dry up that area based on what you said with the amount of rain and mud mm -hmm. to the point where there was there was literally like no more moisture it was bone dry would be because what those people saw actually occurred here's the thing if you go to edmundmaza.com, sign up for my course, we're going to do a special class just on the miracle of the sun, and I'm going to lay, lay on you the latest book that's out. There's this astrophysicist who wrote a book. He has a scientific explanation. In other words, it's not a mass hallucination. It's not a hoax, but it's a miraculous event because according to him, these little kids who are illiterate peasants – three months before this thing happened, accurately predicted what he thinks is a scientific phenomena that explains all these things that we've been talking about. 
the sun dancing around, the colors, the fact that people were, were, were all drenched in, in water and now they're, they're bone dry. He's actually got a fantastic scientific explanation for this with evidence to back it up. So I don't know how much more of a tease I should give here. Uh, you know, people should no, read about this type of stuff because this is, I think, like, listen, there are people who don't believe in Christ. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Um, well, you know, we're supposed to learn, you know, and, and you could read about these things. What you just described, Dr. Ed, is in secular newspapers. In Portugal, you could get the archives. You could read about it. Isn't it interesting? I think it is. I mean, like, if I wasn't a believer, I would say, gosh, that's pretty bold. If that's a lie, that's a pretty bold lie. You know what I'm saying? That's not a white lie. When 70,000 right. people see something and the oh, yeah. ground all of a sudden gets dry after it's full of mud, I right. think I might be interested in looking into that. But like you said, also, it's not 70,000 like-minded people because there's atheists there. There's the, the 1917 equivalent of CNN there, okay? So the thing is, it's not like-minded people who want to see something. They all saw it. If you they talk to a psychiatrist, it. if you talk to a psychologist, they will tell you two people cannot have the same dream at night even if they're sleeping in the same bed okay so 70,000 people cannot have the same hallucination at the same time it's it just it, it doesn't fit it, life doesn't work that way <laughs> let's go on to another miracle but one thing i'd like for you to do um are you familiar with um he, uh, david hume's argument against miracles a little bit yeah w what is that if you don't mind just briefly because according to the Four Horsemen, Dawkins, Dennett, and the rest of them. Their fallback argument is always David Hume, okay? And we don't get, okay. get into the weeds or anything. Sure. But just basically, Hume says there's no such thing as miracles, okay? What does he mean by that, and how, how do we refute that? So in the late 1700s is when the intelligentsia in Western society, they turned skeptical and atheist. So you got guys like David Hume, you got guys like... Uh, Rousseau, uh, uh, the, the uh, Voltaire, we call them French philosophs, although David Hume was, a, was an Englishman. Um, and what they believed in is strict logic and strict reason and the scientific method, okay? They didn't want to hear anything about religion or anything about miracles. Thomas Jefferson uh, came out with the Jefferson Bible, where he literally cut and pasted the New Testament. He took out all the miracles of our Lord and just left in his wise sayings. So David Hume is one of these enlightenment figures, okay? And if I remember correctly, uh, if, I'm if, I'm, if we're thinking about the same thing, Hume tried to argue that there is no uh, causal connection between cause and effect. And if you, if you rule out the connection between cause and effect, then you can you basically rule out – you, you, you can explain a miracle rationally. If you say that there is no logical connection between effect and cause, uh, okay. like, like, like if I, uh, um, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to put it into words, but I think, am I making sense here? Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. But basically, what it is, um, from my reading of it, because again, it's very kind of like, it's kind of like very, it's like they have to strain, whether it's the right. modern atheist or whether it's Hume. Yeah. We know that God doesn't exist. Therefore, we know miracles don't happen. Therefore, we could figure, we know that whatever we call miraculous has some sort of a scientific explanation. That's what it is. In the meantime, and that's what we're discussing here today at the front line with Joe and Joe. No, no, in many cases, there is no scientific explanation. It is truly miraculous. And that's sort of what a miracle, uh, you know, to be verified for a saint is. What basically science does is say, at this point in time, there is no scientific explanation as to why this took place. Now, you right. mentioned John Paul uh, II. He is a saint. He was canonized after six years, which is very rare. You know, two miracles took place. The first miracle was a French nun. She was in her 40s. She had Parkinson's disease. I don't even think she was able to, like, write. It was advanced. Mm. And she wasn't old. I believe she was, you know, middle-aged. And I saw her speak after 
the miracle. Mm-hmm. And she prayed because John Paul II had Parkinson's. She right. prayed for his intercession and it left her. And, and basically, and again, you could look at this. You could Google yes. this. We live in an age where all of this is at our fingertips. This is a woman saying, basically, I couldn't read like right my hands would shake i had advanced parkinson's and now she doesn't have it so again i don't know where people and you could probably if you really wanted to look into it look at her medical records she's not yeah. lying doctors will say yes she had parkinson's disease right so when people take that route i almost like want to say like well the doctor that then says she doesn't have it is he crazy too <laughs> like, 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 I don't know what to say, like, like, like to somebody, you know what I'm saying? No, of course. No, it, like one of the, one of the things we're going to look at are the miraculous cures at Lourdes uh, in France, right? And, and they have a medical bureau at Lourdes where any doctor in the world can come and examine their medical records. And, and they've got all kind of doctors from all kind of different uh, specializations. And, and they've examined all these different cases and, and they've got literally hundreds of unexplained cases, probably thousands of unexplained cases. And of those unexplained cases, the church has come out, and I, I believe they're like at 40-something miracles or 50-something miracles that are legit by the church. But um, it, 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 you've got thousands of people go there and get their prayers answered in various ways. And sometimes, <laughs> as you say, this person had tuberculosis one day, <laughs> Two days later, they have no no trace of tuberculosis. What happened? Um, in fact, uh, there was a guy who who saw a cure right before his eyes in the early 20th century, in the early 1900s. This guy was actually a Nobel Prize winner, and he witnessed a miraculous cure. His name was Dr. Alexis Carell. Uh, people can look him up, uh, Carell. Uh, and so, look, when a Nobel Prize winner is a witness that's pretty good i would agree yeah yeah you know it's definitely not someone in the bleacher seats at yankee stadium <laughs> no 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 and and, and again the, you're at the front line with joe and joe joe pasillo and joe Rasinello having a fascinating conversation about relics and miraculous events with dr edmund maza and we encourage everyone to go and uh, look at all the course material that dr maza offers it dr ed one more time the the uh your website uh edmundmaza.com edmundmaza.com so let's continue we we have about another 10 minutes 10 12 minutes or so so what are uh what are some of the other uh major ones actually i want to just talk about like what about padre pio he has the stigmata i mean like padre pio and here's another like you could look at him in on google he's perfect he looks better than me in in all honesty (laughs) and and he's been dead since 19 like 68 so i mean like um like he had holes in his hands and two weeks before he died they disappeared i mean like how could you just poo poo that off i mean like the man had holes in his hands he bled i believe for 50 years that's about as miraculous as it gets and that took place in the 20th century talk but give some details on that dr evan well you know during his own lifetime of course there were skeptics and, and they had different theories on it. One lame brain theory is that, uh, you know, if you concentrate on something enough, you can actually put holes in your own hands. You, like, like, you know, if you just think about our Lord's passion so much, you, 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 your body will develop psychosomatically. And uh, Padre Pio's answer to that was, uh, you know, go out in the farm and stare at a cow and try to grow horns. You know, it's, 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 it's not how it works. And, and I'm sure that person would, would consider themselves a really, really smart person. But remember, really, really smart people say some really, really dumb things. That's, Go ahead, Dr. Massa. That's true. You know, you can only have uh, average uh, stupidity uh, unless you get a college degree. And if you get a PhD, <laughs> if you get a PhD like me, well, there's no, there's no, no limit to the height of stupidity you might be able to reach. Uh, no, you, it, <laughs> So with, with Padre Pio, it's, it's, it, again, doctors examined him, all right? You, you think the church authorities would allow some charlatan for decades to go around fooling people like this? The Catholic Church is actually very skeptical at, at, the, at first. When somebody first, like St. Bernadette or the children of Fatima, when somebody starts saying that the Virgin Mary talked to me or, or I, you know, I levitate at night or I, I got holes in my hands, the, the church is actually very skeptical at the beginning. 
and, and, and there's a process that and they, they go should through. Be. And they should be, right? Uh, because we're not superstitious, you know, credulous uh, people like like the ancient Romans or the ancient Greeks or whoever, right? Uh, we do believe that science has a role to play, that reason has a role to play. It's just that God is beyond reason and science at some point. So, um, so he he was thoroughly examined, and so we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about miraculous stories, testimony that people had about Padre Pio. I myself was in St. Peter's Square. On the day that he was uh, canonized. Oh my gosh, uh, that's a blessing. Yeah. It was it was a, a, a tremendous blessing to be there with my wife in in the year two thousand two, and um, another friend of mine who I I actually work with now at virginmostpowerful.org, uh, virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Uh, um, he um, he told a story. He met a guy in St. Peter's Square at trying to promote Padre Pio. And, and he started talking to him. He said, well, how did you get involved in Padre Pio? And the guy told him the following story, true story. He was in England, and he was uh, riding the uh, subway, and this, uh, this you know, uh, Franciscan friar uh, approached him and started talking to him about God and about religion and how he should change his life and get back to God. Uh, and and uh, he was amazed at, at the authority with which this friar talked to him. And then uh, when he goes home, he's sitting with his wife, and, and they got the TV set on, and uh, or they, as in, in England they call it the telly. And he says, "Wait, hey, hey, that's the guy. That's that's the that's the monk that was talking to me." And she's like, "That that can't be the guy. He's been dead for forty years. <laughs> that's Padre Pio." <laughs> so and you hear stories like that. Uh, mm -hmm. There were World War II veterans who say that they're up in the cockpit. And all of a sudden, the Padre Pio appeared to them at like, you know, 35,000 feet off the ground mm -hmm. uh, and uh, miraculous cures as well. So, um, you know, the friends of God, you can expect all kind of wonderful things to be happening, you know, because we're, we're in this world and this world is limited, but God is unlimited. And one day, you know, we're going to be with God and it's God willing, and we're going to have the, you know, the resurrected body of Christ. We're going to have all these different properties and principles that go against the current laws of physics as the current laws of physics are influenced by the fall of man by this darkness that covers the earth right now it's like it's like we take reality as if it as if it's working the way it was supposed to work but it's not working the way it was supposed to work it, it's, it's like taking a sick person and assuming that that's that's the normal state of health no it's not uh, so we live in a fallen world we live in a sick world but god gives us glimpses of his transcendent glory, and especially through the saints. See, I think, you know, people have to keep in mind, God could do anything. You know, like we should pray big. God could do anything. He put me on the radio. <laughs> that, 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 that's something that, you know, is a miraculous event in and of itself. To be honest with you, talking about God, if someone said that 30 years ago, they would have said, that's not gonna happen. But my point is God could do anything well i never understood um and, and again i i do hammer on the atheist dr Edmund maza only because they are they're the ones that are always you know they poo poo everything they dismiss everything but i always thought in my mind well, well wait a minute though in other words if god does exist okay um then that same god has the power to create the material world all right the universe out of nothing Okay, which means he's all powerful and he creates all the laws that govern that same universe, that govern time, matter, energy, and space. Now, it's just the basic definition of just how powerful that God has to be, leaving aside, let's say, Christianity and the and, or, or any individual religion. Okay, why, if I believe in God, are, are, are miracles so out of the realm of possibility when I believe that the that the in a God that created the universe out of nothing? And I don't believe, and that same God can't suspend or manipulate the laws that he created in order to affect an outcome to show us something. You know, see, like he doesn't have the power to do that. Like the atheists always say, well, well, there are no miracles, even if there is a God. Well, how could you make that statement? You're exactly. talking about, if you acknowledge there's a God, you acknowledge that he's all powerful. What's your thoughts on that, doc? Yeah, there was a French atheist back in the 19th century, uh, and they brought up lords to him and they brought up other examples to him and he said look i wouldn't believe in a miracle if i saw one i wouldn't believe in it and what's the what's the catholic response to that the catholic response to that is 
you and I have an intellect and a will. And the problem is not so much in the intellect, it's in the will. Okay. Um, you know, uh, if you, I think it was Fulton Sheen who said, if you don't live what you believe, you'll begin to believe what you live. So uh, if, if you're living a secular, immoral lifestyle, you're that mu it's that much harder for you to see the truth. There's a certain sense in which if you're not living the truth, you can't see the truth. And so that's why people wouldn't believe in it, even if they saw it in some cases, because they're so hardened in their sins, and they don't want to give them up. It's like the, the Pharisees with the man that was born blind, and our Lord cured him. And they said, look, this, it's never been heard of before that a man who was born blind would be cured. And, and they questioned him, and they didn't believe him, so they brought in his parents. <laughs> and they questioned the parents, and the parents were afraid they're going to get kicked out of the synagogue. And then in the end, they said, oh, we know this man is an imposter. And, and, and the blind guy had to speak up and say, look, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but I know I was blind, and now I'm not. And so it's like that. Some people are just their will. You know, God gives us free will. So if you if you're so steadfast that you don't want to accept it, God's not going to force himself on you, unfortunately. That story, every time I, that story is read in mass, I always say the parents threw him under the bus. They're like, they asked the parents, they're like, oh, ask him, ask him. What do you mean? That's your kid. For crying out loud. I mean, like, I, I, every time I hear that, I'm just like, that's insane. They just throw the kid under the bus. But, you know, talking about the miraculous, um, mass is a, in a miracle. Every mass, the you know, wine is turned into the blood of Christ. Bread is turned into the body of Christ. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. And that's every single day all over the world. I mean, like, and again, we see that through the eyes of faith. And I know that to be true. How do I know that to be true? Because I know what it is to consume Christ. I know how I feel. And that's not psychological. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's a miracle. And that's for all of us when we go to adoration and we stare in front of the Lord. We sit in front of him. We feel a certain way. Peace comes upon us. Um, we don't, I always say, when you go into adoration, you go in the door one way, you leave another you don't come out the same person. You have a peace. That's real. That's tangible. But we have like about three minutes. Talk about Our Lady of Guadalupe, because that is miraculous, about the, uh, the, the tilma that had the image. It can't be proven scientific why it still exists and it didn't disappear. Briefly, because yeah. I know you're out in California. I know you're very, very versed in it. Tell us a little bit about that. So, you know, almost 500 years ago, in 1531, uh, an Aztec convert to Christianity, Juan Diego, his baptismal name, um, he's, he's wearing this thing called a tilma. Now, the tilma is made out of cactus fiber. Uh, that doesn't have a long shelf life. You know? that, that's not supposed to survive for 500 years, but it has. Okay, And the reason why it has survived is because on December 12th of 1531, Our Lady of Guadalupe left her image on his tilma. And it's still hanging in the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe uh, in Mexico City right now. Now, the old basilica is like sinking into the ground, and the new basilica looks like a monstrosity. But that aside, inside the new basilica, behind bulletproof glass, is the original tilma of Juan Diego. Now, you guys might know back in the 1920s, uh, the Freemasons took over Mexico and started persecuting religion. Uh, somebody, a terrorist, It'll be exactly uh, 100 years ago this year. In November of 1921, they planted a bomb right at the foot of the altar where the uh, tilma was, and it, 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 it basically bent an, an iron crucifix and made it into like a horseshoe, but the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe was unscathed. Okay, so there, there are so many miraculous events surrounding this, this image of Our, Lady, of Our Lady from the book of Revelation. Uh, which is on this tilma of Juan Diego. That's one of the, again, one of the miraculous events we're going to be looking at in my course. One of, one of my favorite things that occurs at the front line with Joe and Joe is every time we talk about Our Lady of Guadalupe, Joe always tells a story when oh. Hillary, Hillary Clinton went there and, and she's looking at it and she says to the priest, who's the artist? And the priest says, God. 
I oh, love please. it. That's true too. Look that up if you, uh, if you listeners out there. She didn't even know. You'd think that her people would prep her. Dr. Edmund Mazel, let everybody know again uh, what you're covering in your courses and where they can find them online. Yeah, well, we're celebrating the uh, 40th anniversary of uh, Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark this this June, and uh, all all during the summer we're gonna we're gonna look at the the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy Grail, um, uh, the Holy Lance, uh, the, the miracle of of San Gennaro, uh, Padre Pio, Our Lady of Fatima, Our Lady of Guadalupe, and this is a course. Hey, you've got some skeptical friends that don't go to church anymore. Tell them to sign up for the course. And where do we find the course, Dr. Mazza? Uh, just go to edmundmazza.com and check it out. All right. So, Dr. Edmund Mazza, thank you for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Thank you, dear brothers and sisters, for joining us here on the Veritas Catholic Network, bringing the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area, 1350 on your AM dial. For all Veritas content, please be sure to download our Veritas Catholic Network mobile app. Also, please sure to follow Joe. Uh, be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube until they shut us down. Of course, like, subscribe, share, hit the little bell, do all that fun stuff. And remember, until next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.